You are listening to the Sports CDP Crash Course, your go-to podcast for all things sports related. We talk about how sports clubs and teams can sell more tickets and merchandise than ever before and how they can negotiate sponsorship agreements of higher value. We also champion women's sports and discuss how data and innovation can help bring equality to the sports industry. We have interviewed industry leaders who have worked with the likes of the NFL, FC Barcelona, Women in Football UK, FIBA, the Davis Cup, just to name a few. So don't miss out. Listen to today's episode. Our next guest is the CEO of Women in Football UK, an organization that empowers women, men and non-binary people in the football industry with the knowledge, expertise and support to create a brighter, more diverse future within football. On top of that, Yvonne Harrison has served as director and advisor to many different organizations within the sports industry. She's also the founder of Strive, a company that exists to help individuals and businesses be better and do better. Yvonne, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. We'd like to start off our sessions with an icebreaker. Are you ready for that? Absolutely. Hit me with it. Perfect. What's your favorite quote, expression or motto and why is it your favorite? I mean, I could have picked a few, but I think the thing that resonates with me in life, not just work, would be treat others as you want to be treated. Very simple, very straightforward. But for me, everything revolves around people, whether that's my family, whether that's any businesses that I'm involved with as a CEO or a member of the team, it doesn't really matter. People are everything. So I think there's always room for kindness, humility, and to treat people well, because that's how I expect people to treat me. So that's the one I'm going to go with. Maybe this ties in a little bit with the next question. So before being the CEO of Women in Football, you served as CEO of Greater Sport. And as a leader, what have been some tools or strategies that have helped you lead successfully? And I guess your favorite quote is a bit of an indication of (laughs) that. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a give a giveaway. So I guess there's a there's a few things that I would say if you were going to sort of put this into a pot, I'd say it's kind of a melting pot of philosophy, really. Um, so for me, people first always. I as a leader, I'm very high on empathy, which can be both the strength and the challenge, actually. But naturally, I like to work with people to get to solutions and work through that. I always like. To get everybody's views on board and then make the decisions that are needed so that's really important to me as is developing my team and the people around me um, I think the role of a leader is to create other leaders um, and provide that leadership in doing so so I want my team to be the best that they can be and I take that sort of personally for me that, that it's my job to help develop them even if I don't have skills in marketing for example you know people will be more qualified than me that's fine how can I draw out what they need to be the best version of themselves in work and in doing that obviously knowing your team really well super important and trying to get to know and that's different in a digital world and the role I have now is um, all our team are remote and always have been so that's been quite an interesting learn for me to be able to get to know people to the same extent that I would if you know we were all in an office 
second thing would be be better, do better. And you picked up on my own company when I set that up. That was kind of my strap line. There was an unofficial one. I won't give you that. Uh, but it was about the kinds of people that I work with. It's not always about being fiercely competitive. It's just about being better than you were the day before. Whether it's an individual, a business you're working with, myself, my work ethic is, you know, just make sure that ultimately you're always striving to be better and creating your own look in many ways. And that look comes from being prepared, putting in the groundwork and when the opportunities come seizing them. So that's definitely a thing for me. Continuous learning. I think that's always been an important part for me, whether that's watching a podcast or listening to one, whether that's doing an official accredited course, going back to uni. You know, I've done a lot of study in my time over the years at different stages of my career. Um, but also observation. Like I really learn a lot from watching other people, seeing you know, what I admire about other people and how they do things, particularly when it's come to things like public speaking, hosting conferences, operating in boardrooms. You know, how do other people do it? What do I like about that? Maybe what do I not? And how do I do that as me and not try and replicate somebody else? Because that's really difficult to do as well. And I guess the final thread of that sort of tools for me is, probably one of my other favorite phrases which is not what but how you know lots of people can do the same thing but the way it lands is different and that's based upon how you do that and your approach so with everything it's always about how you do that and you know would people follow you over that hill would my team people that I work with friends you know are they going to follow me if I say we've got to go now, like, will they come? And and that very much is is a how and um, I think a differentiator in the marketplace uh, in terms of how you operate and collaborate with businesses. So they would be my top tips, I guess, in terms of leadership and, and successes. I think when I boil it down, they're the things that really have given me great success. I really like the not being fiercely competitive, but actually just focusing on being better than you were yesterday because I, I don't know, like sports is quite a competitive industry. And so one would assume that it's always about kind of competing, trying to like this fierce competition that's going on. But but rather what you're saying is actually the, the fierce competition should be with yourself. And even then, it's not really that you're trying to drive and drive and drive, but you're just simply trying to be better than you were yesterday. And I think that observation skill is such a an underrated yet very important thing because we're not born knowing what to do sometimes you're in situations where you really just don't know what to do or how to do it and then just watching someone else do it will give you sort of the light bulb bulb moment of like oh I I can do it like this or I can do it differently definitely fantastic points I mean outside of being CEO you've also served under different titles such as director advisor head of sport and it's safe to say that throughout your experience, you've been privy to many insider insights, for, for lack of a better word, within sports. What key factors have you seen that differentiate successful sports organizations from the not so successful ones, or maybe even successful projects from less successful ones or successful individuals from the not so successful ones? So what makes or breaks a project or club or an organization or an individual in that sense? I think the best organisations I've either worked with or for or kind of seen in some way would be ones with a really clear vision and purpose. Like, what are you there to do? And does everybody know that? Is everybody connected to that vision? Because some organisations, you know, at a boardroom level would have a very clear vision. But if you go and speak to different people in the organisation, 
not necessarily able to articulate what that is or particularly understand the role that they play like every day what they're doing and how that's contributed and for me that connectivity is really really important so I think that would be something that I would sort of look out for and, and recognize I think again right people and um, right throughout the organization do people want to be there like lots of people will have similar skills so the best organizations really thrive on the people they have how they gel together the character the difference as well as similarities is really important. I've worked in an organization where I really recognized there were a lot of people, probably like me actually, very high on empathy, you know, didn't really like conflict. And actually, healthy conflict is good. And bringing in different characteristics within your organization, recognizing that um, can be really transformative for a team if it's managed well. Um, so that right people, right philosophy, valuing your people. I think when we spend a lot of time at work, whatever your job, and all we want is to be part of something and to feel value, I think, as human beings and that connection. So if you can ensure that your team genuinely believe you care about them, which I'd like to hope most people do, but I recognise not all, that's a big deal. Because on those days where maybe somebody's not feeling great or for whatever reason, you know, doesn't want to get out of bed that day or they've got a big piece of work and it just feels massive. You know, on those days, they're going to put in the extra, the extra. They're going to make that effort to get into work. They're going to make the effort to meet the deadline because they know that you really appreciate that. And it doesn't take a lot for that. But actually, so many people don't do that. So for me, where you've got that culture of valuing your colleagues and respecting them and also feeling valued by the people that run the organization including the board that's really really important on the board you know board leadership is massive having a diverse board not only in terms of kind of demographics if you like but also diversity of thought like really just having people from different backgrounds um, relative to whatever the purpose of the organization is, is very, very important for me. And that final thing for me, success factor, is about collaboration. You know, particularly in sport, there's so many egos, everyone wants to win. And I've, you know, built my career really on collaborating and working with people differently. Like women in football, we want to be the best, the global leader in our space. And currently, I'd say we absolutely are. How do we stay there? By, you know, fending off the competition. No, by making ourselves invaluable to the industry, by absolutely indispensable, the go-to organisation for anything related to gender equality. That's what we've become. So we focus on that and we have a very clear focus on that's what we're here to do. And we don't worry too much about everything else that's going on around the sides because we know we'll add value in that way. And I think organisations with that focus, with a great culture, with brilliant people, you know, they'll be the ones that are most successful. And obviously the flip side of that, where you don't see that, where you see competition, where you see negativity, where you see people who maybe don't want to go to work every day or who maybe talk ill of their employers or colleagues, that's not good for anyone, particularly the shareholders, the service users, you know, whatever that industry is. So they'd be the things that I'd be looking out for. And speaking of, of your organisation, Women in Football, you assert that while others champion the need for change, women in football are the ones driving it. And I'm curious in what ways you have become invaluable. You touched upon it a little bit, but I think 
going a bit more into details about what you do and how you are being of value to the to the sports industry would be great yeah thank you um so i guess the first thing is around making sure we're really clear on what we're here to do and we're here to drive gender equality within the football industry that started with us focusing on women working in the football industry and that was our niche for quite some time more recently our memberships become open to men and non-binary people because actually the industry is led by a lot of people who are not women and if we want to really affect change we need the allyship of other people to support and champion women working in this industry so that's been hugely important with our members i guess there's, there's two strands to our work one is our members themselves so as i said anyone can be a member and we offer a great network, a place that you know that you are part of something, you are not on your own. And that's really important because actually working in sport as a female can feel quite lonely and quite isolated. And then if you go into football, that can even feel more so. And then, you know, if you're a female from a lower socioeconomic group or from a, a minority ethnic community, you know, like you, there's suddenly other things, you have a disability. Well, I'm not only female, I'm this as well. And so it's really important you're part of something and the strength of that network is that people talk to each other and in doing so you realise you're not alone, that maybe some of the challenges, the highs and the lows that you face within your organisation, other people experience too and, and actually that's really comforting um, in many ways. We offer leadership training uh, and support and I've had the privilege of speaking to a number of alumni from our leadership course and they, I mean, they've t said it's changed their lives. You know, spending four days together with other women, only small groups of women, because that's really important so you can build that trust quickly and you can have those, you know, really deep conversations has literally changed their lives, whether that's been around relationships that they've got, uh, work or, or externally, you know, whether that's been about a promotion that they wanted, a meeting they wanted to be heard in, you know, whatever that thing that they kind of hooked into it's been quite transformative and that for me says everything about the difference we're making to them as individuals we then brought in our corporate membership because we were sort of listening to our members who were saying you know I, I feel I've been on the courses I feel empowered I want to go back and make a difference and then their organizations weren't necessarily providing the environment for them to do that to flourish not all but some so we actually then started talking to clubs organizations that support the football industry to say do you know that our members feel like this do you know how it feels to be a woman working in this industry and a stat i often use um is around you know 66 percent of our members who responded to our survey said that they've experienced sexism in the workplace, but only 12% have reported that. 12%. There's a big disconnect between what's happening and the reality, either for women to have the confidence to speak out or for organisations to really understand the extent of some of the challenges that women in their organisations face. So really the corporate membership and that side of it was really to try and help organisations that wanted to move forward on this kind of journey and be more gender inclusive to to be able to do that with evidence and understanding and support and not shouting or you know calling certain things out but actually we recognize that you've got a problem we want to help you and that's been really uh, a big deal and then lastly the um you know stakeholder management working with the fa the premier league the efl a whole range of different organizations in the football industry to really understand what do they think of women in football 
what do they think we can add value to? And it's been brilliant this last 12 months that I've been involved. Premier League are working on a gender equality strategy. The EFL, they recently launched their Together strategy, which around inclusion in football. We've supported consultation on both of those things. We're working with the FA around our Be Inspired conference in partnership with BAC. It's all focused on women's football. So there's a lot that we're doing. We're a relatively small organisation that's packing a big punch right now, uh, but we're growing. And that's really exciting, which is about getting that scale right and making sure we can continue to grow and make a difference without trying to take on too much. Absolutely. And it's so fantastic that you, you've had such a wonderful, wonderful reception and that more organizations and more women are speaking up at least like they have an outlet to talk to to if they can't report these situations there's an organization that is supporting them in that sense and then that organization being you is able to get back to, to the different stakeholders and offer education and areas of support but are there are there areas where you've really had to put in some concerted efforts only to get very few results or sort of little breakthrough in that sense have there been challenges or different areas that have proven to be more challenging than others I guess part of it is around evidence and data so like if I go back to the members you know we offer free legal advice as well to members who are experiencing sexism through our partner Mishcon Dorea which is an unbelievable benefit to be able to offer Um, and Mishcon have been brilliant in that sense but When I'm talking to different, whether it's football stakeholders, potential commercial partners, there's a real lack of evidence around numbers that exist within the football industry. So, for example, how many women work in the football industry? Don't know. At what levels? Not sure. For how long? Don't know. What we do know is women are underrepresented, um, particularly at that senior management level and particularly in boardrooms. I think there was a recent... um, Deloitte report, which said something like 11% of clubs, I've got a stat here actually, um, it was the Money League 2022. So of the top 20 revenue generating clubs in the world uh, for football, just 11% uh, of these clubs have got uh, board positions filled by women. So, you know, there's a, there's a long way to go in terms of decision making. But, but actually, beyond some of that data that you can get through, um, obviously, financial reporting, there isn't much else. And actually, as an industry that says it wants to be more inclusive, like we should hold ourselves to account, the whole industry. So that's a big thing that I've been banging the drum on, you know, pretty much since I started. And, and people are listening. People are open to it. It's quite a mammoth task, but it's something that I feel really strongly about because how do we measure success? How does any business measure success? You know, it, it measures it by knowing its start point. Um, and if our mission is around gender inclusivity, you know, I can give lots of anecdotes of things, but actually we need to see it. So that would probably be the biggest area, um, I would say, around, you know, where we'll put an effort in, but it's it's a slow wheel to get going. But we'll get there. I'm really confident that we will. And uh, I mean, women's football in the last couple of years in the UK has seen some tremendous growth, especially with the Euros which was maybe unimaginable when you think back to two years ago at the height of the pandemic. So naturally, clubs within the UK and in the whole world are wanting to capitalise on this newfound agency. And I know that one of the issues really when it comes to equality and representation is the commercial, the money, the 
economic side of things, right? Because sometimes some clubs are more equal than others in the sense that they have more money or have more commercial success. I mean, this is not a, a good thing, but it's like a thing that happens. And so I'm wondering in what ways women's football clubs and just maybe even other sports can try to leverage this newfound momentum where it seems like all eyes are on them in that sense. Is there a way that they can really just leverage this newfound agency to to get more commercially successful or representation or something that's actually tangible? You know, that evidence that you're talking about to, to yeah. walk away and kind of be like during this period when this was happening, we were able to accomplish one, two, three. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think, you, you you know, you see the lionesses leading by example in the sense of, you know, writing to uh, candidates for prime minister, saying, you know, they want equal access for uh, football for girls in schools. And actually in Greater Manchester, the mayor, Andy Burnham and um, Sue Campbell have written to each of the schools and said, we want to be the first sort of city region to be doing that. Um, not because we're being told, but because it's the right thing to do. And and so we'll start to see sort of more and more of that. I think one thing that's really interesting about women's sport, which is probably different to men's sport, is the willingness to support and collaborate. You know, it's less competitive against other sports because ultimately, you know, when the women win the T20 cricket, you know, all women celebrate or well, you know when win the rugby world cup you know when there are these successes around and women's sport in this country has been really successful you know we celebrate so there's opportunities to learn uh, and share across sport because we're all kind of fighting for a share of the market um, and people to watch we see more and more visibility on tv obviously within football and um, with sky and the bbc and that sort of groundbreaking deal really and that's been really important to get women's football of a great standard on the TV, free to view and otherwise, that's been really, really important because when you think about commercials, brands want atmospheric stadiums, they want them packed and they want to see that people want to be watching. So having great viewing figures and getting more and more, I think viewing uh, in stadiums, you know, has, has doubled this last season, which is great. Still there's room for growth. We've had a lot more showcase games in the men's stadiums as well, or the stadiums where the men play. And that's been helpful too, because those stadiums are starting to get fuller and fuller. Um, you wouldn't sell them out now, I don't think, you know, week in, week out. But we're certainly starting to see bigger numbers, which is really important. And locally, you know, young girls can go and watch, and boys, go and watch the Lionesses, you know, in their local uh, Barclays WSL match and see unbelievable quality of football, like really, really top quality. So I think there's definitely um, opportunities around that. And also looking at different models around the world. You know, you've got... Um, the NWSL in in America and Angel City and the way that that sort of club has come together, that's often held as quite a benchmark in terms of the way that they're doing things, how they've got investment and stuff. So everybody's got eyes on that as well. Out in Barcelona, there was, you know, record-breaking crowds. We've, we've seen record after record being smashed this last 12 months, and it's really, really exciting to see. I think from a commercial point of view, what is interesting, I mean, brands like Barclays have been involved in women's football from the beginning. It's great to see their extension now from the Barclays Women's Super League into the Barclays Women's Championship and, and that support continue. I think the market for women's sports and women's football is growing and growing and growing. All of the evidence, whether that's the Deloitte or others, will, will tell you that and the revenue is going to be very, very significant. So 
if brands get on board now um, meaningfully for the right reasons, not just to jump on the bandwagon, there will be a longer term payback for sure. But sport and women's football needs sustained investment. Women were banned from playing football in this country for 50 years. And ultimately, you've got 50 years worth of catch up, you know, in terms of um, revenue. But what you get with women's football is a very different crowd to men's football. It's quite an activist crowd. There's a lot of females. It's not only females and families, which is a misconception, um, but certainly a crowd that wants to see purpose in terms of the, the brands that are aligned. So there's definitely more of that. And I think women's sports fans, actually, um, there was a piece of research done that said they're twice as likely to recall your brand than men's sports fans and 25% more likely to buy. They also have higher expectations of the brands that should be involved and the wider impacts on societal issues. So whether that's sexism, whether that's around inclusion, health and well-being, sustainability, that type of thing. So I think that's quite interesting from a brand point of view. If you want to position yourself as a brand that cares, it's making a difference, you know, as well as making a profit, nothing wrong with that. Um, then I think women's sport is a is a real place to land with credibility. But if you don't mean it, <laughs> then I'd probably stay away because fans are vocal <laughs> and they will call out the things that they see that that they think doesn't sort of sit right. So, but yeah, the I mean the audience is um, quite an inspirational audience, quite mixed and and very active. So I think that's quite an opportunity for for brands. That's something that. Alba Pardo, we had her on the podcast as well, and she's the co-founder of um, Women in Action Sports. She also said pretty much the same thing. She's like, if you don't mean it, stay away because, you know, (laughs) it'll be very obvious that you're just there for a quick buck or you're just trying to, you know, make a name for yourself. And it's really damaging to the sport because, you know, there needs to be sustained investment there's so much to celebrate around women's football this last 12 months I mean it's literally been unbelievable what a dream time for me to come into this role I mean I've just had some of the best experiences however you know when we look at some of the challenges around that whilst you know the lionesses lifted the euros trophy it was unbelievable and you know they beat the USA and amazing victories however standards of player care are variable you know salaries are very variable you know the training facilities the fact that we've had matches called off recently because the pitch was frozen and yet the teams were you know kicking off and uh, starting to play and then you know all of these things they're so so long to go like there's so much more to do so it's really important that yeah while the commercial money's coming in more than it has been and there's definitely been a rise in that we're also very realistic and I think that's where women in football plays an important role you know we're about women working in the workforce Absolutely. But women's football is a part of that. And we feel a responsibility to be able to advocate for it, champion and and to really celebrate, but also bring to the fore, you know, the realities when the media come to us about certain things, you know, we're very honest um, and and we tell it like it is, uh, because that's important that people don't just think, oh, it's okay now we can move on, you know, to the next thing. There's a lot to be done. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what other mistakes sort of following that same um, train of thought, what other mistakes have you seen many just brands, organizations or even women's sports organizations make when it comes to sort of navigating this 
space of trying to be more successful or trying to or maybe some of them are not even trying hard enough I, I don't know like um, what mistakes are, have you seen within the industry so yeah. far arguably the you know if you look at women's football and men's football like the same rules but it is a different game it's a very different feel and you know a mistake arguably could be to try and just replicate the men's game because this feels different it feels really special and learn from the brilliant things that happen in the men's game but also learn from the things that are not so great um, and let's make sure they don't happen in in women's football so that would be the first thing I think often in women's sport because it's been so under resourced and everything is you you know you become grateful grateful for everything and and if you're you know you've got a bottom line you've got to hit in order that the team can be a team and this that and the other then you know sometimes people might make decisions to take money that maybe isn't in the interest long term of the sport but they need it now or they undervalue or understyle the work you know, it's very, we all know that phrase, know your worth. But, you know, often women, we can talk ourselves out of that and we go, oh, well, maybe we'll just take that and we should be thankful that we should take that because, you know, we're getting something. And don't get me wrong, something is amazing. But actually, we're at a point now where we have to hold tight on, you know, what the commercials are worth and the value that's coming. And obviously, if partners get on board earlier, then they'll get better value long term. But they're going to have, probably have to invest a bit more up front as well in order to, to sort of see that sustainability and through. So I think we're, see, we're in an interesting time of a shift between people investing in women's sport as kind of a corporate social responsibility piece versus as a viable commercial proposition. And I think if we want investors you know, commercial partners to bring money to the table, then as women's sport, we have to be prepared to deliver. Um, and it's not, you know, oh, well, if we didn't quite hit the mark, then it'll be okay. It won't be okay. It wouldn't be okay in any other commercial contract. So I think making sure the right skills and heads around the table in order to negotiate commercial deals appropriately for the right value, but also for the, for, for the value for the sponsor as well, make sure they're getting... And what what they're signing up for is really important. And then, Yvonne, when you think about the future of women's sports, what emotions, thoughts and reflections are conjured up for you? Are you excited or are you wary or how are you feeling? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm excited. Like if, if there's so much to look forward to, I think, you know, compared to 10 years ago, never mind when I was a young child, you know, I lived for sport. I absolutely loved it. and the opportunities weren't there now and you know when I take my 12 year old son to football there's so many young girls playing there's girls refereeing like it's just it's amazing to see and I just you know I have two boys and a girl and I want all of them to have the same opportunities and I always kind of talk to them about it and you know particularly my sons it's their job to make sure that Clara you know has has the same opportunities and my eldest winds me up a little bit about it sometimes just on purpose because he knows he knows he knows the levers to pull but actually they know their responsibility in life hopefully and yeah so I am excited I think there's there's lots of opportunity but we need that authenticity like that's really important we've got to guard that because what we have in women's sport across the board not just football is very special we need the sustainability that longevity piece is really important we're at a point in women's football where 
you know, we'll never get this again. We came out of obviously COVID into the Euros, won that amazing, started the season. And, you know, we've got the Women's World Cup out uh, in Australia, New Zealand in the summer. So we're never going to get that window again where everything is so condensed and so visible. So keeping this momentum going is, is going to be important. And recognising, celebrating success, being patient where we need to be. So, so I guess a whole mix of emotions, but always optimistic because there's so many amazing people involved in sport not just women who really believe in this and see it for the greater good and 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 will be active making progress even better so yeah what um exciting things are you working on right now at women's women in football um lots of different things so we've got some in-person events that will be announced in the near future um which would be great again some around the women's world cup which would be cool I personally working a lot with our stakeholders at the moment around different things that they're doing and just making sure that, you know, gender is a key thread of that. Um, I guess our biggest news is our conference, um, our Be Inspired conference in partnership with Barclays. Nice. So exciting. So, so (laughs) exciting. And to anyone listening right now who wants to be an ally or who wants to actively work towards supporting women in sports and improving women's sports, what advice would you give them? I would give them the advice of just like join the community. Like there's lots of online communities around this. We are women in football. So if you want to be part of our network, you know, it's absolutely free to join. If you work in the industry or aspire to, you just go on our website, click join now, fill in a few questions and it's totally free. And then you're privy to all of this information. But equally, there are other organisations who, you know, do that for Sport more generally check out the resources there's so many free resources out there our youtube channel is full of videos webinars things that we've done over lockdown really informative with some amazing speakers and like some real real great insights so if you want to be part of it join it and just remember to yeah treat others as you want to be treated like be an active participant in conversations and if you hear something that you think mm, maybe that's not right or maybe somebody a colleague's been overlooked something and I've got value to add like bring them into the conversation never underestimate how powerful that is Yvonne I can't thank you enough for coming on to the podcast I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and you're just spitting out knowledge and just like you're flowing with so much knowledge and um, if anyone wants to connect with Yvonne we will link her LinkedIn and uh, we will put some links to women in football just so that you can keep up with Yvonne but Yvonne thank you so much for coming to the podcast oh thank you Lorraine If your goal is to get more supporters, superior sales and real revenue, then visit our website at datatalks.sc and fill out our demo form to experience firsthand how we can help you. Datatalks, more supporters, superior sales, real revenue.